caring because you want to change the industry, but also not caring to the extent that you're going to still do your projects and you're not going to let those barriers stop you from, from making the films for the community that you want to reach. Welcome to the Film Fatals podcast, featuring candid conversations with some of the world's premier feature film and television directors of all marginalized genders. Today's chat will be between friends and collaborators Storm Miguel Flores and Maria Bro. Storm Miguel is a trans, queer, Chicane filmmaker whose work includes award-winning documentaries, The Whistle, and Major. He has won grants for his filmmaking through National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures, the San Francisco Arts Commission, and Horizons Foundation. Most recently, he was selected among six artists for Sundance's inaugural Trans Possibilities Intensive. Maria is a San Francisco filmmaker and owner slash operator of Ambrosia Films. Her short film set during the 1980s Salvadorian Civil War, Luca, won the Frameline 33 Audience Award for Best Short. Her feature, Mother Country, premiered at the American Black Film Festival. We hope you enjoy the conversation on long-term collaboration, making films accessible, and subverting the gatekeepers by creating a strong film community. Hello. Hello, Maria. Hello, Storm Miguel. So uh, we are on, we are guest uh, speakers, talkers, podcasting people on A Wider Lens with Film Fatales. And I am so excited to be here with my dear friend and creative partner in many ways, uh, Maria Bro. Heart emoji that you can't see. Hello, hello, everyone. I guess we can intro ourselves. I will introduce you to Storm Miguel Flores, filmmaker, editor, actor extraordinaire. We both live in San Francisco. We have worked on coming up on three projects together now, I do believe, mm-hmm. maybe four. Mm-hmm. I helped out very marginally on a couple of things you have done, right. but we have worked very closely on a feature, a short and a feature, and hopefully in the future, uh, putting together another feature. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Maria. This is Maria Bro, who I kind of introduced and who's just a really wonderful filmmaker. And to me, a a mentor in a lot of ways. There was a long time ago when I said, hey, Maria, I want to act. And Maria was like, oh, cool. Well, soon after, I wrote a script that is around you being a lead in it. And so (laughs) we started that process. And then we did another film after that. Uh, so the first, that film was called Socorro. And can you, do you want to describe that film? What's, what's the log line? What's sure. the log line is, oh man, that was a while ago. The log line is in a futuristic world, traveling musician Socorro tries to make ends meet uh-huh. until a femme fatale, uh-huh. as opposed to a film fatale, comes along and makes him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, that's great. That is it. Okay. And there's there's music. It's kind of haunting and beautiful and was so much fun to make. We and wrote a song can, together. And we wrote a song together for it. Yeah, where can folks see that? They can see it on Vimeo. If you look up Maria Bro, M-A-R-I-A-B-R-E-A-U-X, I'm just putting all of my films there now. And it's S-O-C-O-R-R-O, Socorro. And then we moved on to another film, a uh, mm-hmm. historical piece, really. 
yeah, a documentary. You may know of the the almost legendary Riot Girl band Volvita, who had their heyday in San Francisco in the 1990s. And their lead singer, Grille de Beausoleil, after disappearing 20 years ago, decides she wants to get the band back together. The problem is they haven't heard from her in 20 years. So they have a few a few things to mend. Some feelings. They're having feelings. Some feelings. So we got to follow that band as they, they try to navigate some of those feelings. And if you've come this far in what I'm saying, we actually are the leads in that movie. Uh-huh. And it's being edited. We have color correction and sound mix happening. Storm Miguel was the main editor. I was also an editor. And it was and is an adventure through almost rock and roll history. Yes, it, it was so much fun. Uh, I got to play the lead guitar, Gordon rhythm, Garcia. Rhythm, rhythm guitar. Oh, why you got to you know, burst my bubble? Like, <laughs> fine, rhythm guitar. I got to play rhythm guitar. Just not as glamorous. But uh, yeah, yeah, I got to play Gordon Garcia, um, a rhythm guitar player with some feels and, and doubts. And you got to play Grill de Soleil. Yep. And... Um... We base it on an outline. It's very much modeled on the best in show films out there of Christopher Guest. And we improvised mostly everything. We played the songs ourselves. Storm Miguel is an accomplished musician in San Francisco. And so I leaned on him for a lot of the, the directing of the band. And here we are. It could be about an hour and a half comedy when all is said and done. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And what are some highlights from working on Volvita, like working on like the actual production of it for you? It was right before the pandemic, so that was a highlight. We were all yes. able to freely co-mingle in tight quarters. The highlights were, well, we spent a couple of years fleshing out the story, rehearsing, getting together. It was me, Storm Miguel, our good friend, Jay Aguilar, my partner, actress Sarah Corda, as well as my daughter, who's done sound for almost all of my short films. Her name is Dakota, and I coaxed her into playing the drummer. In fact, I don't know if you knew this story, Miguel, but both Dakota and Sarah at first said, no, we don't know if we want to do this project. But they're my family, and, you know, a little pressure goes a long way. But they were extraordinary. And, um, and so, yeah, we spent... A good, I want to say, couple of years just meeting up, doing improv rehearsals, going to karaoke nights together, and then coming up with these characters that were all part of this uh, former Riot Girl band. And it was right around the time that Riot Girl was coming back into the mainstream with Bikini Kill and Bratmobile. And in fact, I was going to go to a Bikini Kill concert, I think in Portland, right before the pandemic and we had to shut that all down. They had to shut that all down. Ooh. Yeah. And then we got a grant through SF Film Arts, the SF Film Commission rather. We got uh, we did crowdfunding and raised a big chunk of our funds that way. Uh-huh. We were able to cobble together enough funds to do a pretty low budget film. Filmed uh-huh. all in San Francisco, Berkeley and Oakland. Uh-huh. Anything you'd add there? 
it was a blast making that movie with you. Um, I love just being there from the beginning when you said, I have this idea. I want to do this thing. Here's, here's kind of the general, you know, idea of what it is. And then to just get to see it, it was so cool that you really allowed us to see you, you all, you allowed us to really kind of create the movie with you by exploring who our characters were. We each got to pretty much given some like prompts, write our own characters and um, so it was really exciting to get to do that. And from there, start to understand the relationships between these characters and what their story, what their arcs were. And the whole thing was improvised. And that was really daunting and scary and fun uh, to shoot and really fun to edit. <laughs> <laughs> each, each take was different. It was really, um, it, was, it was good, a good exercise and yeah, and everybody was just so yeah. wonderful in it, um, yeah, and hilarious. So it's, it's been That's amazing. Really amazing. To and speaking of highlights, we had just an amazing cast and crew. Just and as you as you know, when I do a film, I like to make it a community effort, not just in terms of getting people from the community, but creating community on set. And so it just so happened everyone ended up being LGBTQ. I think. Um, yeah, I don't think there was a single, there was, yeah, it was very diverse and inclusive and that made it even more of a family. And, and then we got a local caterer of color and I thought that the food was just incredible. That's really important to me too, make sure people are treated well, well-fed. And, and so I just felt very nurtured during that whole thing creatively and spiritually and, and culinarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the craft oh, services well. was amazing, and I, I, all, you did. I can attest. You really took care of your cast and crew. Um, I remember I going to you initially with some concerns. I have fibromyalgia. I can't be on my feet for a long time, and uh, I was just like, I'm really nervous about being on set for for such an intense shoot because we're going to be shooting for two weeks straight, and um, and so you got a PA just for me. And just so that I could, like someone who, and they ended up doing a lot more, I think, because I don't think I ended up needing too much, but um, there was just always someone there to make sure I had a place to sit, to make sure there was water. Like, I just felt so taken care of um, on set. That's a rare thing, I think. I was nervous about, I think a lot of times folks with access needs are made to feel like we're taking up too much space or being... Um, unreasonable when we request accommodations, like they, you know, even just the most uh, the most basic of accommodations, but all accommodations are necessary. And I just, it, it just was never an issue. And of course, it shouldn't have been, but I, it's 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 a rare thing that it's not. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I just I appreciate that, and it made it really a uh, comfortable place to to work on. Even though we were all like so exhausted <laughs> by the end of it, but it was just so much fun. Yeah, and that's really great to hear. And that's kind of surprising that that more people wouldn't just listen to the needs of the people who are on their cast and crew and try to make everyone as comfortable as possible. To me, that seems just like basic humanity, but <laughs> but I guess not necessarily, right? You know, we're learning. We're learning. Yeah, yeah, we are learning slowly but surely. This might be. I know we have some questions that that were presented to us, and this might be a good place to jump around and just ask, like, what inspired you to be a filmmaker and do what you do? Oh my gosh, I was, you know, so I was going through the questions that we were um, given, and that was the one that had the longest answer. So I'll try really hard not to to do a novel here, but you know, my partner Annalisa Philian is a filmmaker. 
And early on, she would kind of half joke, like, you should be an editor. So basically, so she could have an in-house editor. And I said, I'm so not interested in film. I'm a, you know, I make music and do other stuff, but not film. And then I started working for Transgender, Gender Variant Intersex Justice Project as an admin coordinator. And in that job, everybody's doing everything. It's kind of all hands uh, on deck. And they do work with trans people, especially and intersex people, and with the highest rate being trans women of color who are either in jails and prisons or at risk of being targeted by police and or have been in jail or prison or detention. And so I used to, do you remember those flip cameras? I don't even know. I, they were just made by, I think they were, they were just made by a company named Flip, maybe. I do remember those, yeah. Yeah, and they were nice little like um, HD cameras. Mm-hmm. And I used, to, and they're just like an all-in-one. I'm, I'm using my hands to try to, <laughs> to try to show what it looked like. But anyway, I used to take these flip cameras, look it up, Google it. And I would take them to rallies and protests when our members would go. And I would film everybody on these little flip cameras. They're super easy to use. I felt very comfortable using it. And then I would go back and make little, you know, videos to put up on our YouTube using iMovie so that, you know, people could see the work we were doing. And I loved it. And in that time, I had this idea that I wanted to make a music video for one of my songs. And I decided, well, I really love editing. Maybe I can make this video and edit it and and maybe see if I really like editing. I'll keep doing that. So I got to be in the QuackMap uh, program, which is a queer women of color media arts uh, project. I found out that they also have opened up to um, trans and non-binary uh, and queer folks of color. So I joined, I took part in one of their trainings and made my music video for I've Been to Manhattan. It's a zombie music video. The song has nothing to do with zombies. It's a drinking song about the drink Manhattan. And the video is all about zombies. It works, I think. And it's a country song. Anyway, so I, I I made that project through Quack through the QuackMap program, and you know my my kind of promise to myself was if I am happy with my editing on this, I'm going to pursue editing, and that's what I did. And I ended up editing Annalise's feature documentary Major. I actually met you around the time that uh, I was making I've been to Manhattan. You donated to my go uh, ah, my Indiegogo okay. campaign, yeah. and I already knew who you were as a filmmaker. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Maria Bro donated to Indiegogo, <laughs> and then somehow we became friends on Facebook, and the rest is history, as they say. So yeah, I've been. So then I had the idea to make my documentary, and didn't really think I wanted to direct again after I've been to Manhattan, but I did, and I ended up making the whistle, which is uh, about uh, lesbian youth culture in the '70s and '80s in Albuquerque, New Mexico very specific, uh, which I was a part of that community. I'm trans. And at the time when I was a youth, I identified as a baby dyke. I didn't identify as baby dyke. But looking back, I think, oh, I was a cute little baby dyke. Um, I was a lesbian. I was gay, however you want to say it. But um, so, yeah, there's kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know how to keep that story short ever. Okay. That is how I got into (laughs) filmmaking. (laughs) Yay. That's awesome. What about you? How, what inspired me to be a filmmaker? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Well, without going into full sorted details of my family of origin, to say it was really awful. And I would escape by just imagining things. Just go into my room, close the door. When I wasn't listening to the Beatles, then I was just imagining movies in my head, like whole one and a half hour, two hour movies. And so when I went to college, I started studying fiction writing. I basically went through all of these different types of writing, fiction writing, playwriting, I had the great fortune of studying with Adrienne Kennedy, who was part of the Black Arts Movement, who I'm still in contact with. And she just said, write about your family. 
which I never did because I didn't want to. I escaped them. Why would I want to write write about them? Um, but then, so I just went through these different writing modalities, I guess you would say. And and but then I landed on film because it's so visual. And I've always used my imagination as an escape. So I said, okay, instead of trying to write all of these many, many words to describe something, why don't I just show it? And and so 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago now, I made my first feature, I'd Rather Be Gone, again, just like a friend who are talented type of thing, picked up a camera, did a road trip movie, which I seem to find myself doing every now and again. And... And that's how I became a filmmaker. I didn't go to film school, but then after a while I thought, oh, wow, I need to know how to make films. I can't just do this in a vacuum. So took some local classes, read tons of books, talked to a lot of people much smarter than me. And then above all else, I just picked up a camera and and I just started doing some some small things. And then after doing that feature, just did a whole series of shorts where it was just okay, keeping in practice, teaching myself skills, working with folks who knew what they were doing. And, and then slowly over time, start just getting, you know, what I consider some kind of skill set. And um, has always, have always done underground films, very indie, very low budget, either self-funded or funded with grants. And so by the time Bovita rolled around, I thought, okay, well, wow, I have studied writing. I've, I was an actor in college and right after college, a solo performer, studied solo performance in grad school. So I thought I tried to do the music thing for a while in college. I was doing like the coffee house, women's center, acoustic gigs, trying to be the Indigo Girls to varying levels of non-success. And um, so I thought, okay, Grilda, let me put this all together like a rock and roll star. So there's the music, there's the acting, there's the writing, and then there's the fourth element that has become even more, if not um, equally, if not more important, is just people and getting together with my friends and being silly and playing. And so it started with imagination, and I think it's ending with imagination because improv to me is just so visceral, immediate, spontaneous, and as much as I love the written word, as much as I love fiction and playwriting and just really well-crafted words, I also just love the the organic nature of improv. And so this is where I've landed and this is where I am today. I, I have a follow-up question about Grilda. You were talking about Grilda and just kind of some ways that, that she aligned with your life. Would you say other, there are other parts of Grilda that are that you took from you? Um, how, how like Grilda are you? And, and do you want to describe Grilda to folks a little bit? She's ridiculous. So there's definitely a side of me that's completely ridiculous. And when I was growing up, despite the hardships and just, you know, the bullet list, my mom was schizophrenic. My dad was emotionally and physically abusive. My brothers had their own things going on that I don't want to divulge, but they had some issues going on. I've had issues. We all have issues to varying degrees. But uh, one of the ways that we combated that was through just hardcore humor and laughing at just about everything, probably to the level of inappropriate, mm. but we got through by using our senses of humor. And so Grilda's ridiculous. Grilda is also a new age, internally washed person who has sought a lot of healing. And we make a lot of fun of that in the movie, but there's nothing that Grilda says that I have not done myself. So, and I swear. So she mentioned, <laughs> I went through this period of, oh, wow, I'm learning about, you know, not only nutrition, but things like ear candling 
and going to Peru on an ayahuasca retreat before it became trendy in the tech world, tech bro world. And I said, well, I'm going to try everything and I'm going to be open to any experience that comes my way. And some of it was ridiculous as well, but some of it is actually really healing and, and led me to a place where I am now where I can just be really open and honest with a lot of things that happened in my past, where I feel like I'm bringing in a lot more joy into my life through my loved ones and my community. And, but that's a long way of saying that Grilda is, ridiculous, is a ridiculous person who's open to any kind of objects stuck in various orifice, orifices mm-hmm. of her body. <laughs> it's like you plus, you, you extra. Maria extra. Me, me exponentially. <laughs> I love it. And yourself, you. I know that Gordon X Garcia shares some of your traits. How would you describe? Yeah, me plus definitely. Some? Yeah, Gordon Garcia is, um, you know, tries to kind of appear as like a really chill, mellow person. You know, this is actually one of the questions. Like, what would your character about you? Um, what would be their traits if someone to play a character about you mm. in their film? And it was um, internally screaming, externally chill. And I feel <laughs> like that's Gordon X Garcia um, tries to come across as being really chill, but just like super, like has a lot of anger. It's a mm. lot of anger. Isn't quite where he wants to be in the world, but trying to just be chill with that. Like doesn't, doesn't really want to seem like he might be uptight or upset or, you know, in unsatisfied in life and uh he loves 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 chihuahuas and i love 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 chihuahuas <laughs> um <laughs> and plays rhythm guitar not lead uh and yeah i've never been a good lead guitar player i'm not that good of a guitar player i'm like i wrote i've learned to play guitar so i can accompany my songs that i was writing and you know and it's not like in a self-deprecating way like i'm just not that good of a guitar player like i'm a decent guitar player i can hold my own in my songs but you know that's about as far as it ever went and so that's gordon it's just yeah it's it's i pulled a lot of myself out into gordon x garcia and um yeah i don't think i'm that much sadly i don't think i'm that much different than gordon x garcia except for maybe i'm better at communicating i think i'm definitely better i'm a better communicator than gordon x garcia okay fair enough and and are you fond of burritos and i don't want to talk about burritos okay fair enough fair enough we won't go there yeah no hard limit yeah hard hard no on that one okay next question one of the questions that you kind of just alluded to, so um, the character you most relate to in yes. film, TV, or otherwise. Yeah, Guillermo de la Cruz on What We Do in the Shadows. Mm. Have you watched this yet? You know I haven't. You oh recommended God, it to me. It's so good. I just rewatched <laughs> season two, and I, I just adore this show. It is really quite possibly my favorite show ever in wow, the world, okay. in my life. Okay. It is so good. It's mockumentary style. And uh, Guillermo is a familiar, he's a vampire familiar. And I relate to him, first of all, because I never see uh, actors, characters who are chubby Latinx queer characters, mm-hmm. like on TV. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And um, so first of all, when I realized I related to this character, it was the first time I was, I was, first time I realized that, oh my gosh, there's a character I could actually cosplay if I were a person who did cosplay. Mm-hmm. And... I realize I've never really been able to see myself in any characters. 
and, yeah. in that way. So I was just like, oh my God, I should totally do Guillermo. And so, yeah, it just made me kind of really like, oh, wait a minute. How interesting that I've never thought that before. And can I think of anyone else? And honestly, no. And so I relate to him basically just kind of like on his like kind of, you know, how he looks, who he is in the world, who the actor is in the world. It's just um, Harvey Guillen is just a, he just seems like he's just dreamy. And uh, also, you know, he, I have also been kind of part of a, cultish group that I literally had a deep urge to exterminate. So, you know. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, but how about you? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Well, um, first off, I'm going to watch that show. I have no excuse. I am coming out by saying our my family's currently watching The Masked Singer, which is mm-hmm. one of the most horrible shows that you'll love, that you'll ever watch. <laughs> it's just so bad that it, it goes... The other way, and it becomes so bad, and it becomes brilliant. Okay, I watch know it or it. don't watch it. I know yeah. it. And uh, yeah, what we do in the shadows is definitely. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a family movie, a family show. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, I have my nine-year-old daughter that I'm around twenty-four-seven. Love her to pieces. No comment. Yeah, the character that I relate to actually is Benjamin Braddock in The Graduate, mm-hmm. and that's because. Uh, I I identify as female, but I also sometimes have a boyish side. He's marginally boyish. He's not quite a man. Uh He's very uncertain and awkward, so uncomfortable, so uh, just doesn't really know how to function in most social situations. And that can be me sometimes, not always, but every now and again, my Benjamin, interior Benjamin becomes external. Um, I used to run track and field. And so I can relate to that part of him. And he also, just as we know, that final scene, he bucks authority. He finds out who he is. He finds out that above all else, he's a romantic. And I believe I'm very much a romantic. And, and so I identify very heavily with, with Benjamin Braddock. I might even swing across someday. I don't know. That might be a bucket list thing to do. A bucket wheel, list. Wheel across and just swing it at people, you know. The gigantic crucifix. Oh, swing your crucifix. Yes, Thank you. Yes. Like you might swing, like, you know. <laughs> I might spoken, swing while cross. You've spoken with Sarah about this. <laughs> yeah, we've had long discussions about swinging with the crucifix. And it might just happen. Well, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, what do you wish you knew before we got into the film industry? You know... I'm, I'm going to look at that. I, I, I talk about that. I mean, I, I wrote about that a little bit and I want to just kind of look at my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you know, I've been crowdsourcing since the nineties, crowdsource fundraising since the nineties. I used to mm-hmm. make, you know, we would make little demo tapes with like little EPs and I would color on the little, the little flap, the little cassette <laughs> flap, and I would sell them to people for $5 or more. Do you still have any of those? I have a cover somewhere. Um, I think I found a cover somewhere that somebody had given me. It was like, here, I got this. Do you want it? Because like, it might be a keepsake. But anyway, um, and so, you know, that's how we would raise money to actually record albums. I was in an all lesbian band in Albuquerque in the 90s. And uh, so anyway, the reason I'm saying that is because I, I've never really felt like, I don't feel like I'm a part of the film industry. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I feel like I have generally been an artist performer of some sort, like starting with, like I said, starting with music, moving into some kind of performance art, doing production and now filmmaking. And I've always found a way to kind of create my vision 
no matter what. Like, it's just like, this is going to get made. It might be correct. It might be incorrect. It's going to get made. And, you know, luckily I've gotten some training. I get to do clock map. I've got to do a Bayback program in post-production. And like, I have an understanding of like some things, right? Like how to bring in a crew and how to work with them. And, um, but yeah, like I, I wouldn't say I'm part of an industry. For me, it's about how do we raise the money? How do we find a way to get grants? How do we pay our crew? And how do we make the story happen? And it's, you know, it, it often involves two, but there's a pre-production fundraiser and there's the post. And my friends, I think, are just used to me asking them for money for my projects, you know, mm-hmm. every few years. And right. uh, it's, it's a bit of a hustle. So yeah, I, I don't really feel a part of an industry at this point. And I don't know at which point I might feel that way, but uh, and it's not that I'm closed off to it. It's just, for me, it's just really important to get a film made however I can. And so I haven't really felt like I'm trying to get into something bigger at this point. What about you? You know, there's a lot of overlap though, but even though, you know, I've done the film festival circuit, have had like shorts distributed as part of compilations, it's never felt like an industry thing for me either. And in fact, I spent some time going to Hollywood and trying to pitch producers there. In fact, my first big pitch was to Bruce Cohen, the producer of of Big Fish and some other uh, movies that we know and love, Milk. And, And I remember sitting there looking at him thinking, I know he's going to say no, but how cool is this? I'm sitting in front of Bruce Cullen. And so that was my industry entree and exit because I thought, okay, well, this this is not for me. I'm glad I tried it out. But, and, you know, maybe if I got an offer to do a big project tomorrow, I would say and think very differently. But for now, I've loved the journey. And they always say, you appreciate the journey, no matter what the destination is. And that can become almost a cliche, but Mm. I've really, really taken that to heart. And, and the experiences that I have on each one of these films, each one could just be, you know, a short story in and of themselves of all the things that went really well, the things that didn't go well at all from running out of gas on the road trip movie to, you know, almost losing, in fact, not almost losing a makeup kit because we left it on top of a car and we drove away. So little, little things that we have anecdotes and I have relationships and not that you don't get that in an industry setting, but it's come without some of the pressures that I see some people have. Um, and again, that's not to poo poo the industry or to say anything negative about it, but we've, I've just taken a very different path. And again, that may change if, if I had the right conversations with someone tomorrow, but I would say that, um, what I wish I knew before becoming a filmmaker, kind of similarly, you always have to raise money. And even if you do this as like a side hustle or whatever it is, it's a very, a very expensive one. Uh-huh. It's not like picking up macrame tomorrow and, and being able to afford all of the, the moral materials of that, of that passion. And, and also just learning how much time you have to do it to get even remotely good at it. Like, I think I had these stars in my eyes at the beginning. Oh, there are all of these movies being made by mostly white, independent male filmmakers. They do this one little thing for no money. They don't have any experience. And all of a sudden, they're Quentin Tarantino. So I had these stars in my eyes. Oh, I could do the same thing. Um, And then understanding over time the industry barriers to based on race and gender and position and all of those things. And then, you know, understanding how those things work caring because you want to change the quote industry, but also 
not caring to the extent that you're going to still do your projects mm. and you're not going to let those barriers stop you from, from making the films for the community that you want to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some things I've, I've learned over time. I knew I'm going to continue learning. This is a, an ongoing process for me. And, you know, I can be making movies for the next 20, 30 years. And I'm sure that there'll be new insights, new technologies that arise over time. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like the, the part of like, I mean, I love everything you said and I'm thinking about like making films for communities, right. For the communities who you want them to be for. That is such a, 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 a that's a thrill to me. Like think mm-hmm. about the whistle. I just, um, my, my documentary just like did the festival circuit this past year. It was virtual of course. And so um, the amazing thing about this documentary is it was about people in Albuquerque. So it was, it was, it was by someone, from Albuquerque, me, and everybody who was in it is uh, was from this particular time and place in Albuquerque, and then we got to premiere it. and And Maria came from from California to to New Mexico to so watch cool. the premiere. It made me so happy. But we got to premiere it at a historic uh, theater, historic historical. I never forget which which is which. Many historic, old historic <laughs> theater in Albuquerque called the Chemo Theater, and there were like five hundred and fifty people at the opening night and they're all people from or connected to Albuquerque and the people um, it was just like, it was just basically mostly queer people and like our families and people who were there at the time that the story is told, people are familiar with the story, uh, people who were younger, people who were older, people who were maybe older at the time and didn't quite know what was going on with the youth, but it was all these people that were just so happy to see their story told. And the fact that like I've just gotten like really like wonderful feedback from people in Albuquerque who are, you know, when can we see it again? When can I get access to the whistle? Like just so happy about this story being told. Some of them knew about it and some of them didn't. Um, it just it meant it means everything to me. That to me, that's it. I've I have succeeded that people who are in the film and people who are adjacent to it feel good about it, feel seen, feel like represented. To me, to me, that's just it. I did it. I did everything that needed to happen with that film. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it'd be awesome if it could be seen, you know, shown on PBS or, you know, shown at uh, the bigger festivals. But it was shown at really wonderful festivals mm-hmm. and not all LGBTQ festivals. And now it's just available for people, whoever wants to watch it. I really want it to be accessible. Right Which was my question. Where can people watch The Whistle? People can watch The Whistle on Vimeo um, or Lesflix, which is a lesbian platform Um and based in the UK. So you can either uh, rent it from Lesflix or you can get a subscription and stream it. And uh, if you go to dykewhistle.com, D-Y-K-E whistle.com, you will find uh, links to, to be able to see it. And you'll also see a trailer there. Very awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yay, yay. So we, t- we talked a little bit about what characters we relate to the most. And mm-hmm. because, you know, we're talking a lot about it's interesting, like you and I are both filmmakers, but we're also actors. Um, mm-hmm. So who would play you in a movie and why? Besides Halle Berry. Yes. Well, or. Or. No. or who just would play Halle me Berry? in a movie as well? I, I think um, Tim Curry. No. Um, who would play me in a movie and why? Well, a mixed race. So it would have to be mixed race. It can't be someone white pretending to be. Mixed race, black and white. Um, you answer that question first, and I'll think about it. who. Would, who would you want to play well, in a movie? Why? 
You know, I, I couldn't answer that either, really. Um, <laughs> what it comes down to is me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey. And, you know, go. but it's true. Uh, we're, we're about to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm currently writing a mockumentary with um, a lot of support from you mm-hmm. and that you're also going to be acting in, Maria, um, with me. We're, we're, but we're playing, we're essentially playing me and my partner. So Maria is playing my partner. I am essentially playing myself because it is a mockumentary that's almost a, a kind of sequel to my actual documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I am essentially playing myself. And so there, you know, that's, that's, so I guess I'm playing myself. In a okay. Way. Why? Because, uh, you know, I question that. I've been questioning that lately. That is a good question. Why? Why am I doing that? Do I need to bring uh-huh. someone else in? We'll see. Okay. Okay. For me, my answer is someone who has yet to be discovered yet, who just wants to be an actor. We'll right. do some auditions and then we'll discover them and they'll play me and they'll be happy. I like Simple. it. <laughs> I like it. Same. You know, I, I it would have to be, I feel like I'd want it to be a, a you know, Chicane trans guy mm-hmm. or at mm-hmm. least a, you know, Latinx trans person, um, trans, trans masculine person. I say yeah. masculine lightly. Um, but yeah, I think, it, it, and, and I don't know how many, uh, you know, there are, you know, middle-aged, well, it depends on the age too, right? What, what period mm-hmm. of my life are we talking about? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of us out there right now acting and that there, there needs to be, and I look forward to there being a pool of people who I could have dreams about playing me in a movie yeah, someday, yeah. my biopic. Isn't that crazy? Like you, there's so many like influencers on YouTube personalities that are getting discovered and make, making careers that way, like in the mainstream. When back in the day when we were kids, you know, the story of how Matt Dillon, when he was in fourth grade, some talent scout went to his school and said, oh, you look like you might be interested in acting. You look like an actor and let's mm. see what we can do. Mm. It seemed like, I don't know if that exists anymore. We just kind of connect with people because you want to connect with them instead of trying to fight and struggle and compete against millions of other people who are trying to make a splash, you know. And again, we may not aspire to be at the level of a Matt Dillon, but just the, the, in terms of trying to find ways to connect with people and encourage them to do what they love. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where that's going, but just I thought I had. <laughs> and, um, well, you do that well. That is a thing you do well. Oh, like you really know how to bring people together and, and bring out um, the actor in them and the best in them. And um, I've watched you work with people who have acted, people who haven't acted and, um, and create just like brilliance. So. Thank you. Yay. Thank you so much. Let's see. I guess we're coming to the end. So I think we have this question of what you'd say to people pursuing film. Mm, What do I say to people? You know, I was going to mention this earlier when we were talking about budget. When you, you brought up mm-hmm. budget, uh, budgeting for a film, um, that films cost money. And I, you know, this isn't necessarily for people who are like dreaming of becoming filmmakers. It's for filmmakers, for all of us. And mm-hmm. and that is, and, and the people who are at the early, whatever stage you're at, please, please budget early on, plan early on for captioning and audio mm-hmm. description. Make your films mm-hmm. as accessible as possible. Um, and also think about that not only in post, but think about it in pre-production, who you bring in on your crew, um, you know, how, not only how the film gets seen, but how the film gets made, how accessible are we being? I have a lot of work to do in that area myself. And uh, check out um, 
Forward Doc, they have a toolkit around um, access. Hold on, I'm gonna find out the address here. Okay. But it, yeah, Forward Doc. So it's uh, www.fwd-doc.org. They're uh, documentary filmmakers with disabilities. However, what they offer in their toolkit goes can go to any filmmaker and their projects. So, you know, for me, it's thinking about access, uh, disability access. That's amazing. Yeah. And on, on a related note, my advice was going to be always stretch yourself to learn new things and be open to new ways of doing things. And there's um, this, you know, famous scene in Glengarry, Glen Morris, where Alec Baldwin does this really horrible, awful, shaming <laughs> monologue. And he tells his salesman, always be closing. And I would change that to be much nicer and say, always be learning. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, be open to the latest technologies, the latest way of doing things and do it in a very kind and inclusive way. Yes. Cool. I love it. Thank you. I'm so glad we got to hang out this way. How fun. Me too. I love hanging out with you always. And it's really fun to get to hang out with you publicly and just like, you know, have a conversation this way. So thank you so much, Maria. And thank you, Film Fatals, for having us on. Thank you for tuning in to the Film Fatals podcast. Film Fatals is a nonprofit and talent discovery platform, which supports a community of over a thousand feature filmmakers of all marginalized genders. We hope you enjoyed this in-depth look into Storm Miguel Flores and Maria Bro's filmmaking experiences. Keep a lookout for their upcoming documentary about the infamous 90s queer riot girl punk band, Volvida. A huge thank you to our podcast team. This episode was edited by Storm Miguel Flores with tech support by Amanda Lundquist. We'll see you next time. <laughs>